welcome to the reading of the Council Bluffs Daily Non-Perial for Friday, December 23, 2022. I'm your reader, Catherine Moyers. The headline from today's paper is Dodge Trust Awards $75,000 in Grants to Service Providers by David Golbitz. The Dodge Trust announced 12 recipients of $75,000 in grant funding at a ceremony at Council Bluff City Hall on Tuesday. The purpose of the Dodge Trust is to provide funding to charitable organizations or agencies that provide essential services to the residents of Council Bluffs, according to the Trust Board. Recipients of the 2022 Dodge Trust grants include the Council Bluffs Pantry Association, which works to provide food, clothing, and temporary housing to those in need, and New Visions Homeless Services, which helps those experiencing homelessness identify and overcome any trauma that might be acting as a barrier to creating and sustaining a stable environment for themselves. I cannot even express how appreciative we are of the Dodge Trust grant, said Teresa Hildreth, treasurer of the CBPA. This funding makes it possible for our pantry members to be able to buy much-needed food and personal hygiene items, which are then provided to struggling households in our community. Inflation has affected our buying power, decreased our donations, and has increased the need for our services. We are thankful for the financial support and look forward to restocking our shelves. New Visions has also been impacted by rising costs due to inflation, as many donors and donor organizations have cut funding this year, making the Dodge Trust grant that much more meaningful and important, New Vision CEO Brandy Waller said. The support of the Dodge Trust Fund allows us to continue our mission of feeding the hungry and housing the homeless, Waller said. These extra dollars will actually go towards we're planning on opening up a warming center. These dollars are so crucial to be able to operate a warming center to allow people that are experiencing street-level homelessness that are living in their vehicles, a safe place to go throughout the day and connect with resources. Waller will be going before the Council Bluff City Council at its next meeting, January 9, 2023, to request a temporary use permit for a warming center for this winter. New Visions has operated a warming center for the last two years to allow people experiencing homelessness to get out of the cold for a few hours. This weather, people die in it, Waller said. I don't even have funding for this. Before we decided we're going forward, I didn't know I was getting the Dodge Trust Fund, and my staff is like, Brandy, people are going to die if we don't open up the warming center. During a previous meeting with the city council, members expressed concern about unruly or unlawful behavior at the warming center, which Waller acknowledged as valid concerns while pointing out that there was not one police call last year because I was able to spread out these people and treat them like human beings. Since the inception of the Dodge Trust in 1989, when the city received one-third of the residuary estate of General Grenville Dodge, the Dodge Trust Board of Trustees has overseen the trust's assets and grown from $900,000 in excess of $3.5 million. The Trust Board has distributed more than $2 million to organizations around Council Bluffs. 
The Dodge Trust is managed by the board, which is appointed by the mayor with the concurrence of the city council. With questions or for more information, call the city attorney's office at 712-890-5317. Organizations that received 2022 grants are Council Bluffs Pantry Association, $25,000. Heartland Family Service, Heartland Homes, $4,000. Iowa Legal Aid, $1,500. Wings of Hope, $3,500. Thriving Titans, $1,000. Council Bluffs Ministry with Mentally Handicapped, $1,000. Catholic Charities Domestic Violence and Sexual Abuse Program, formerly known as Phoenix House, $3,000. Jenny Edmondson Hospital, $4,000. Micah House, $10,000. CHI Allegiant Health, $2,000. New Visions Homeless Service, $15,000. And the Salvation Army, $5,000. The next story is Children's Square Lutheran Services Team Up to Find Foster Children Homes by Tim Johnson. Lutheran Services in Iowa and Children's Square, USA, have partnered to find children in foster care in the Council Bluffs area a home this holiday season. Partnering with an agency as well known as Children's Square in the Council Bluffs area has been a huge help to find children homes, said Don Lutke, Director of Resource Family Licensing and Support of LSI. Hundreds of children across Iowa are waiting in foster homes, according to a press release from LSI. LSI offers individuals the necessary resources to become foster care and adoptive parents in the state of Iowa, according to a press release from LSI. The organization's state contract covers 30 of Iowa's western counties and partners with many different agencies across its territory. Over 20 kids are waiting for a placement in the Council Bluffs area, said Jonathan Holland, Chief Program Officer. The goal is to find these kids homes. The home for the holiday campaign has been great in helping us achieve our goal of not having any kids waiting for placement this holiday season. We are currently hoping we'll attract people this holiday season who will attend our orientation classes, said Don Don Lucci, Director of resource family licensing and support for at LSI. A free foster care and adoption orientation session will be held at 6 p.m. on Wednesday, January 4th at the Charles E. Lakin YMCA, 235 Harmony Street in Council Bluffs. For those unable to attend the in-person orientation, an online foster care and adoption orientation session will be held at 6 p.m. on Tuesday, January 10th. Western Iowa is in need of more foster and adoptive homes. In this orientation, you will learn about the process of becoming a resource parent, foster adoptive or kinship parent, for a child or teenager. This short orientation will provide you with a space to ask questions and discover if this is a need that your family would love to help fill. For more information or to register, contact Samantha Shermer, at samantha.shermer at lsiowa.org or call 712-263-9341, extension 5387. 
The last story from the front page is titled, See Where Iowa's Delegation Stands on More Aid to Ukraine, by Tom Barton. Members of Iowa's congressional delegation praised Ukrainian President Zelensky and pledged ongoing support for the country's war effort, but opposed a $1.7 trillion spending bill that includes another large round of aid to Ukraine. Wednesday night, Zelensky told cheering U.S. legislators during a defiant wartime visit to the nation's capital that against all odds, his country still stands, thanking Americans for helping to fund the war. Iowa Republican U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley said in a tweet it was great to be there for the historic speech and that Americans and Ukrainians are partners for democracy. Zelensky made that very clear. Grassley and fellow Iowa Republican U.S. Senator Joni Ernst, both of whom have advocated for and supported sending lethal aid to Ukraine, voted against the omnibus spending bill. The legislation includes about $45 billion in military, economic, and humanitarian assistance for the devastated nation and NATO allies, raising total assistance so far to more than $100 billion. Grassley, in a statement, said the package included excessive spending, earmarks, and special projects with little review. While many things were included in this bill that I do support, the broken process led to a final product that, taken as a whole, is too expensive and contains too many items that should never have been included, he said. For these reasons, I cannot support this bill. Iowa Republican U.S. Representative Ashley Hinson, who said she intends to vote against the spending package, echoed Grassley during a conference call with reporters on Thursday. Grassley's office, though, pointed to a lengthy list of legislation, letters, floor speeches, and statements the senator has made in support of Ukraine. That includes urging President Joe Biden earlier this year to immediately transfer much-needed air power and other support to Ukraine. Grassley also signed on to a letter to the Secretary of Defense, urging him to send more advanced artillery rocket systems and ammunition to Ukraine. Additionally, the Senate passed legislation sponsored by Grassley and Illinois Democrat Dick Durbin shortly before Zelensky's visit that expands the original war crimes jurisdiction to include any war criminal found in the United States. Ernst echoed Grassley, tweeting that Washington's budget process is completely broken and that the massive last-minute 4,200-page spending package is a lump of coal. A combat veteran and member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, Ernst was a member of the escort committee greeting Zelensky at the Capitol. President Zelensky displayed the great resolve of the Ukrainian people throughout Russia's brutal war and emphasized the enduring cause of standing by our partners, Ernst said in a statement. Putin's aggression threatens both Ukraine and our allies in Europe, ultimately endangering American security and prosperity at home. Continued assistance to Ukraine with transparency and accountability for American taxpayers degrades the Russian military and serves our national security. Ernst secured a provision in this year's National Defense Authorization Act to provide training to Ukrainian forces to demine the Black Sea. In November, Ernst led a bipartisan effort to urge the Pentagon 
to arm Ukrainian forces with Grey Eagle drones. And earlier this month, she participated in a panel at the Reagan National Defense Forum on the war in Ukraine. Hinson of Marion said Zelensky's speech put in perspective for the American people of what the folks in Ukraine are dealing with in their battle against Russian President Putin. It's an unprecedented illegal invasion, and the U.S. has given Ukraine significant support, Hinson said. I've supported billions of dollars in funding to go to Ukraine, and we will continue to ensure that Ukraine is armed with the weapons that they need to win this war, while ensuring that there is transparency and accountability. So as long as those things are met, I will continue to be part of the conversations about how we support Ukraine, not only financially, but as well as we can militarily, she said. Spokespersons for Iowa Republican U.S. Representatives Randy Feenstra and Marionette Miller-Meeks and Cindy Axney, a Democrat, and Republican Iowa U.S. Representative-elect Zach Nunn did not respond to requests for comment Thursday afternoon. Turning to page two, the story at the top of the page is Council Bluff's man sentenced to prison in Bellevue teen slang by Kevin Cole. A Council Bluff's man was sentenced to prison Wednesday, December 21st, in the 2020 shooting death of a Bellevue teen during a robbery. Rashawn J. Faison, 23, originally was charged with first-degree murder in connection with the death of Kalani Zolopani, 17, on October 12, 2020. He also was charged with conspiracy to commit a felony and use of a firearm to commit a felony. Prosecutors agreed to amend the charges to manslaughter and possession of a firearm by a prohibited person. The charge of use of a firearm to commit a felony was dismissed. Bellevue police said Zalapani, a senior at Bellevue East High School was killed while being robbed on West 31st Avenue, just east of Offutt Air Force Base. Sarpy County District Judge Stephanie Martinez sentenced Faison to 18 to 20 years on the manslaughter charge and 40 to 50 years on the firearm possession charge, which carries a mandatory minimum of three years. The charges are to be served one after the other, said Deputy Sarpy County Attorney Scott Earle. Under Nebraska law, which cuts most sentences in half, Faison must serve 30 and a half years before he is eligible for parole and 36 and a half years before he must be released. Faison is one of three people charged in the slaying. Davion D. Snyder, 20, of Bellevue, is awaiting trial on a manslaughter charge and is being held without bail. Carlos Altoro Colon, 18, is scheduled to be sentenced in February after being found guilty of two counts of use of a firearm to commit a felony and attempted robbery. According to Facebook posts and a GoFundMe page put up by Zalapani's family, the teen was at his mother's home when the shooting occurred. My baby, he is in heaven, my angel, his mother, Kulialani Zolapani, posted on Facebook. My beautiful baby boy was robbed, shot, and killed in my Bellevue home yesterday while I was at work, she wrote. He was 17, smart, an amazing young man with the biggest heart. I never felt pain like I am feeling right now. 
Bellevue police were called to Zalaponi's home on a report of CPR in progress. Zalaponi, who was born in Honolulu, was pronounced dead at the scene. The next story is Neola graduate among 16 newest members of Nebraska State Patrol. This is a staff report. The Nebraska State Patrol graduated 16 new troopers, including one from Neola, during a ceremony at the state capitol in Lincoln, Nebraska, on Friday, December 16th. Among the troopers taking their oath and receiving their badges was Zachary Matthews of Neola. Matthews, who received badge number 284, is assigned to the Omaha duty station. Matthews was also recognized as a top recruit with the D.R. Shearer Marksmanship Award. Every graduation marks a milestone, not only for the new troopers, but also for our agency, as the next class of public servants joins the ranks, NSP Superintendent Colonel John Boldick said. These troopers are well-trained and ready to hit the road across our great state. We are proud for them to join our team as we continue to serve Nebraska. The 16 members of the 66th Basic Recruit Class come to the patrol from communities across Nebraska, Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Kansas, and Minnesota. The newly sworn-in troopers have completed 22 weeks of intense training, including extensive live-action training scenarios and rigorous academic instruction. Their training now continues in the field, pairing with veteran troopers in the field training process. Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts and Attorney General Doug Peterson provided remarks while Secretary of State Bob Evnen administered the oath of office. You are joining the premier law enforcement agency in the state of Nebraska, having just graduated one of the toughest law enforcement training academies in the nation, Ricketts said. We're also proud that you have chosen this line of work. Your motto, service over self, demonstrates that you understand what this is about, that you are here to serve, protect, and keep the people of Nebraska safe. The next story is Walnut Man Convicted of Sexual Abuse of a Child by David Golbitz. After a four-day trial, a 12-person jury returned a guilty verdict against a Walnut, Iowa man who had been charged with two counts of second-degree sexual abuse, a Class B felony relating to children under age 12. Alan Seavers, 59, faces up to 25 years in prison for each count. It is mandatory that Seavers be placed on the sex offender registry for the rest of his life. Upon release, he will also be on lifetime special sentence parole. In 2019, Seaver's victim confided in a trusted adult about the abuse and, following an investigation by the Pottawatomie County Sheriff's Office, a warrant was issued for Seaver's arrest in September 2020. I am proud that the expertise of the lead investigator, Corporal Tony Leak, and forensics analyst, Deputy Tom Cava, helped uncover evidence that corroborated the child's outcry, Assistant County Attorney Mimi Dobson said in a press release. Their work protects the most vulnerable among us. Dobson also commended Seaver's victim for taking the witness stand during the trial. Seaver's victim acted with remarkable courage in testifying in front of his abuser and courtroom of adults, Dobson said. 
Seavers had also been charged with one count of lascivious acts with the child, which carries up to ten years in prison, but the jury was unable to reach a unanimous decision. The trial was presided over by District Court Judge Kathleen Kilnoski. The case was prosecuted by Dobson and fellow Assistant County Attorney Patrick Sondag. Seavers will remain in custody pending sentencing, which is scheduled for February 9, 2023. Turning to the face of the day. Santa Claus has been meeting with children and their families at Bass Pro Shop since November, and he'll be making appearances at the Council Bluff Sporting Goods Store for just a couple more days. Santa is the mi- in the middle of his annual residency at Bass Pro Shops, 2901 Bass Pro Drive in Council Bluffs, this holiday season which runs through Christmas Eve. Bass Pro hosts its annual Santa's Wonderland section toward the boat sales floor each year. Families are invited to meet Santa for a free 4x6-inch photo print and additional purchase options. After meeting with the Jolly Red Fellow and telling him their Christmas wishes, there are a number of games and holiday-related activities for the kids to enjoy. Families need to make a reservation for their photo opportunities, which can be made online at BassPro.com. There, guests can also check times and available dates that Santa's Wonderland is open. Santa hopes to see lots of kids the next two days, and then he'll be off to deliver toys across the globe. The next story is Council Bluffs Police Share Holiday Spirit with Grocery Shoppers by David Golbitz. If you were shopping for groceries in Council Bluffs Tuesday night, you might have noticed an unusual number of police officers hanging out near the cash registers. But law enforcement wasn't lurking at area grocery stores to catch people breaking the law. Members of the Council Bluffs Police Department were there to alleviate some shoppers' financial anxieties before Christmas. The Council Bluffs Police Department received a donation of $1,250 to give away to people in the community, Lieutenant Ron Albers said. Sergeant Corey Woodward thought it would be a good idea to give it to people at grocery stores to help with holiday shopping. So tonight, the department went out to different stores in town and handed out some holiday cheer. Officers Nathan Class, Kelsey Hurley, Deanna Roth, Sergeant Matthew Brinkman and Albers staked out the West Broadway Hy-Vee, North Broadway Super Saver, and Mackenzie Avenue Fairway grocery stores and handed out $50 bills until the entire donation was given away. Some people cried, some people hugged the officer, but everyone smiled, Albers said. The money was provided by an unknown donor, and he wanted the department to pay it forward. I would say it was a complete success. Then we're going to turn to church news. Lighthouse Bible Church. Lighthouse Bible Church, 2136 Fifth Avenue, invites the community to participate in our live worship service at 10.30 a.m. on Sundays. The Sunday sermon is pre-recorded and can be viewed on our website, lighthousemc.com. Dresses casual and coffee and refreshments are provided. We will cover the scriptures concerning Christmas this week in our study through the scriptures. Upcoming events, prayer and study, 7 p.m. Wednesdays. The Christmas Eve service will be at 6.30 p.m. with refreshments after the service. 
Mount Hope United Methodist. Mount Hope United Methodist Church, 290th and Highway 6th, McClelland, would like to invite all of us to join on Sunday morning for worship service at 9.30 a.m. The church will hold a Christmas Eve service at 4 p.m. on December 24th. Children are welcome for the regular worship service and children's sermon during the worship service. You do not have to be a member to participate in our church activities. Everyone is welcome. Gethsemane Presbyterian Church Gethsemane Presbyterian Church, 224 Wallace Avenue, will be closed on Sunday, December 25th. We welcome you to join us on Sunday, January 1st, 2023. The service runs from 9 to 10 a.m. Our church is collecting Iowa five-cent refund cans and bottles for one of our mission projects, the Canesville Honor Guard Society. Your donations help. Bags can be dropped off anytime at our front door. Our food pantry is open on Mondays and Thursdays until 10.30 a.m. Donations are welcome. For more information, contact the church office at 712-366-2513. Timothy Lutheran Church Timothy Lutheran Church, 3112 West Broadway, offers services at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. on Sundays. The church alternates between traditional services and praise services each week. Bible study and Sunday school at 9.15 a.m. If a month has a fifth Sunday, the church hosts a combined service at 9 a.m. Food and fellowship after service on fifth Sundays, and there is no Bible study or Sunday school on those days. The church is handicap accessible. For more information, visit the church website at timothylutheran.net. And St. Paul's Evangelical Country Church. St. Paul's Evangelical Country Church rings the church bell each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. to welcome people to worship at 11055 Dumfries Avenue. There are directional signs from Wabash Avenue and Pioneer Trail leading to the church. We are a growing, caring, friendly, Bible-teaching church. Led by Pastor Jason Kinney, the church will hold a candlelight service at 5.30 p.m. on Christmas Eve. The message will be, A Savior is Born, using the Bible reference, Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Greeters will be Lori Kirkpatrick and Marsha Parker. There will be no regular Sunday morning service. There will be no youth group this week. Visit our website at www.stpaulsecc.org for more information. We are handicapped accessible. Underwood Lutheran Church Underwood Lutheran Church, 10 Third Avenue, will hold Christmas Eve candlelight worship service at 5 and 10 p.m. On Sunday, December 25th, the church will hold a worship service at 9 a.m. Compass Christian Church Compass Christian Church welcomes you to worship with us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 2007 South 7th Street, just west of the South Expressway. The church is handicapped accessible. During worship, a cry room is available, along with child care for children ages 1 through 4. Compass Kids, grades K through 5, meet downstairs for special Bible lessons during the sermon. You may also worship with us at Compass CB online dot church or on you, YouTube. We invite you to join us 
December 24th at 6.30 p.m. for our Christmas Eve service and December 25th at 10.30 a.m. Each of these services will highlight a different aspect of the Nativity story. The men's and women's Bible study groups meet Mondays from 7 to 8 p.m. The Bridge Young Adults will not meet in December. Wednesday night activities will not meet December 28th. For questions or more information, visit our Facebook page, Compass Christian Church CB, or call the church office at 712-366-9112. Broadway United Methodist Church Broadway United Methodist First Street and Broadway is seeking, growing, and serving with unconditional love and acceptance. Christmas Eve services will be held at 4 and 6 p.m., with the first being a praise service and the second traditional. On Christmas Day, one service featuring lessons and carols will be held at 9.30 a.m. Pajamas will be allowed. Our services are held in person and live-streamed to our Facebook page, Masks are optional. The blue Christmas service has been postponed until Wednesday, January 4th at 7 p.m. On Mondays, Phillips Cupboard is open noon to 2 p.m. On New Year's Day, Broadway will hold one worship service at 9.30 a.m. On Friday, the church office is closed, but Phillips Cupboard, a non-food pantry, is open noon to 2 p.m. For more information, call the office at 712 322-7741 closed on Fridays You are listening to a reading of the Council Bluffs Non-Periel on IRIS the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind Now we'll turn to today's obituaries Anne Elizabeth Tucker Nelson Anne Elizabeth Tucker Nelson, age 81, passed away December 20, 2022, at Methodist Jenny Edmondson Hospital. Anne was born at Mitchell Field AFB, Long Island, New York, on July 29, 1941, to Captain James E. and Marjorie G. Morshell Tucker. Anne's father was a pilot in the regular Army Air Force and was killed in action over France in 1944. In 1948, her mother married Richard J. Garwood. Anne grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. She graduated from Carleton College, Northfield, Minnesota in 1963 and taught high school English and French at Minnetonka High School in Minnesota and Lewis Central High School in Council Bluffs. Anne and John Philip Nelson met during college at Carleton where they were both students. They were married on June 19, 1965 and made their home in Council Bluffs. Anne served on many boards and committees, including All Our Kids, American Heart Association, Nebraska, the Omaha Symphony, Ballet Omaha, Omaha Community Playhouse, Jocelyn Art Museum, Literary Center for the Midlands, National Conference for Community Justice, Nebraska Nebraska Cultural Endowment, Jenny Edmondson Hospital Auxiliary, Philanthropic Education Association, Midlands Humane Society, Duchenne Academy, Juvenile Diabetes Foundation, the Durham Museum, Friends of the Council Bluffs Library, Children's Square USA, PEO, Historic General Dodge House, Council Bluffs Service League, Council Bluffs Senior Center, Axarban, 
Circle, United Way of the Midlands, and Children's Hospital Foundation. She and John were well known in the metro area and shared numerous and ch- charitable events. Anne was named the Arthritis Foundation Nebraska Chapter Woman of the Year in 2008. In 2016, she received the Lewis Central Hall of Fame Staff Award. She was also a recipient of the Sertoma Club Outstanding Humanitarian Award, the Iowa Western Community College Investment in Excellence Award in 2003, and the Omaha Symphony Dick and Mary Holland Leadership Award in 2018. Anne and John have been generous contributors to many projects in the area, including the 2021 opening of the Anne Elizabeth Nelson Women and Newborn Center at Methodist Jenny Edmondson Hospital, the Anne and John P. Nelson Gallery and Exhibition Floor at the Pace Art Center, the Nelson Family Cottage at the Children's Square, USA, and the Nelson Teacher Resource Center at Jocelyn Art Museum. She was instrumental in the formation of the Nelson Family Foundation Excellence in Teaching Award, which recognizes outstanding teachers and counselors in our area. Anne and John were avid travelers, readers, and golfers. She also enjoyed tennis and was a needle pointer extraordinaire. They enjoyed spending summers with family and friends at their lake home in Minnesota. Anne was the consummate hostess for gatherings with family and friends. Anne was preceded in death by her parents, her stepfather, her godparents, Eleanor and Randolph Guggenheimer, and her sister-in-law, Judith Nelson. She is survived by her loving husband, John P., children John H. and Susie Nelson, Catherine and Robert Lyon, Nelson and Mary, Matthew Leonetti, Jr., grandchildren Jack Staker, Ellie Staker, Charlie Nelson, Grace Nelson, Anne Nelson, Matthew Matthew Leonetti III and Annie Leonetti, brothers James L. and Marianne Tucker II, and Richard J. and Allison Garwood Jr., brother-in-law Stephen H. Nelson Sr., as well as five nephews, other relatives, and numerous friends. Funeral service will be Thursday, December 29, 2022, at 10.30 a.m. at St. John Lutheran Church, 633 Willow Avenue, Council Bluffs, Iowa, 51501 Celebration of Life Reception Thursday, December 29, 2022 at 1 p.m. at Omaha Country Club 6900 Country Club Road, Omaha, Nebraska In lieu of flowers, memorials are preferred to Council Bluffs Public Library Foundation 400 Willow Avenue, Council Bluffs, Iowa 51503 Children's Square, USA, 520 North 7th Street, Council Bluffs, Iowa, 51503. And the Arthritis Foundation of Nebraska, 10846 Old Mill Road, Number 1, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154. Turning to the sports page, the headline is, Jensen Excited After Inter-Miami Takes Him in Draft. Lewis Central grad turns professional soccer player by Peter Huguenin. Lewis Central graduate Cole Jensen first received his taste of being a goalkeeper at a young age when his older sister Brooke Jensen peppered him with shots in their basement. All that practice paid off Wednesday night as Cole Jensen achieved a lifelong when Major League Soccer Club Inter-Miami selected him in the first round with the 18th overall pick. 
My older sister played at the University of Sioux Falls, Jensen said. When I was a little kid, we'd be in the basement and she'd just be kicking balls. I was the one that was just eating every ball that she kicked. So I don't know if that's where I started, but I was sort of the goalkeeper in that aspect. Jensen received the news, surrounded by family and friends. It was hard for him to put into words how it felt. I think that it's specifically hard to explain how I feel, but I think to be home and be with my immediate family and some of my friends meant a lot to me, Jensen said. You're hopeful that your name is going to get called, and once it does get called, to have that moment there with my family and those that have been supporting me since I was a kid was a very special moment. Jensen played at Lewis Central from 2016 to 2019, where he helped land the Titans, lead the Titans to their first state championship as a senior. As a senior, he played 1,735 minutes in goal, where he made 167 saves and only allowed 10 goals. When he graduated, he held the career and single-season shutout records. He then attended Xavier University. He started this season as a redshirt junior and helped lead the team to a 9-2-7 overall record. In 18 games, he allowed just 16 goals and made 59 saves. He totaled eight shutouts. He was named a United Soccer Coaches NCAA Division I Men's All-American Third Team Selection, United Soccer Coaches All-East Region First Team Selection, Big East Goalkeeper of the Year, All-Big East First Team Selection, Adidas MLS College Showcase Participant, Two-Time Big East Goalkeeper of the Week, five-time Big East Weekly Honor Roll Selection, and Big East All-Academic Team. I think being a goalkeeper is very unique because you're not involved in the game necessarily, the same way all the other field players are, Jensen said. I'm not touching the ball as much as all the other guys, so I'm engaged in the game a little differently. But I think it's a very beautiful game and a global sport that there's a lot of fans and support all over the world. I think what keeps me going in soccer is just being able to develop into a better player every day and continuing to get better and reap the rewards of putting in work and having team success. I think as a goalkeeper, your team reflects a lot about the goalkeeper. If it wasn't for my teammates and coach, John Higgins, this year at Xavier, I probably would not be where I'm at. Jensen always dreamed of playing professional soccer, but it wasn't until about six weeks ago when he received the first call from a professional team that it started to become a reality. After the calls started coming in, the process picked up. I think it's a dream, Jensen said. When you grow up, you want to play in the MLS. You want to play at the highest level. You dream about playing for the national team. You dream about playing in the highest level in America and hopefully one day playing at the highest level in Europe. I didn't necessarily expect it to happen. That was just a goal of mine. And then it's kind of taken off in the last five to seven weeks. Now that he has been drafted, Jensen is looking forward to starting his professional career in January. He isn't done raising the bar. Now he is hoping to continue to improve and earn a spot on the pitch. 
I think I'm really looking forward to getting to Miami at the beginning of January and getting with the staff and players they have there and and getting to work, he said. I'm excited to be surrounded by talented players and hopefully elevate my game and develop as a goalkeeper short-term and hopefully in the long-term. I can develop into a goalkeeper that will be a starter. That's always a goal. The next story is titled, After Losing Bailey... Hawkeyes kept Davis' interest silent by Steve Batterson, Dateline, Iowa City. A social media lesson learned a year ago provided Iowa with an opportunity to keep one of the high school football players it signed Wednesday off the radar of rival recruiters. In this area, it's commonplace for college coaches to follow the prospects they are recruiting on their social media accounts. But when Tegan Davis attracted the attention of Hawkeye recruiters because of his play on the field this past fall for Princeton High School in Illinois, Iowa coaches kept their distance on social media. Iowa Director of Recruiting Tyler Barnes said Wednesday that Hawkeye coaches made a conscious decision to not follow Davis on Twitter, providing no social media indication that Iowa had any interest in a player that had previously committed to Eastern Illinois. When Iowa decided to invite Davis to visit late last week, Barnes talked over the situation with linebackers coach Seth Wallace. Seth and I actually agreed. Nobody follow him on Twitter. Let's hit up the kid and get him over here on Sunday, Barnes said. We actually lost a DB last year. We were interested in to Illinois. Matthew Bailey out of Moline, that way. So we didn't want Brett... Brett Bielema, the fighting Illini coach, to see that on Twitter because they would have probably tried to get Davis down to Illinois too. Instead, Davis made a late-in-the-process visit to Iowa, was offered a scholarship Sunday, and committed to the Hawkeyes on Monday. We covertly got him over here Sunday, and he's just a really good kid, a high-energy kid, Barnes said. Davis had attended a camp at Iowa last summer, but Barnes said Hawkeye coaches didn't know a lot about him until two former Iowa players lobbied extensively on Davis's behalf. Former Hawkeyes Matt Bowen and Sean Considine, currently coaching on high school staffs at Elmhurst IC Catholic and Byron, respectively, passed along Davis's name to Iowa coaches during the early part of the high school season. Popped on some film, small school football, multi-sport athlete background, kind of had him on the list, but not really. Then Seth Wallace actually got two more extremely demanding texts from Sean Considine and Matt Bowen after the season, Barnes said. Those texts carried some weight. You have two guys like that who know everything about Iowa football, two guys that earned their way here, played a long time in the NFL. Considine lives in small-town Illinois, understands the guys who are going to be successful here, Barnes said. We went back and popped the film in again. Wallace forwarded the texts he had received to Barnes again late last Thursday. Then, watching his football film, you see basketball film, and you see his high jump numbers, his long jump numbers. That's the recipe for guys that have come here and have been really successful, Barnes said. At that point, Barnes and Wallace opted to go undercover with Iowa's interest in Davis, the son of former Augustana College standout Spencer Davis. The versatility he brings to the program is mirrored 
in the other three defensive backs the Hawkeyes signed this week. I think Zach Lutmer of Central Lion is probably a safety for us, but the other guys have some versatility to them and could play outside or inside, Barnes said. I think in Khalil Tate, John Nestor, and Tegan Davis, you have that versatility for sure. The next story is titled, Labus on the Run, Readying for Hawkeye Debut, by Steve Batterson. Joe Labus has been on the run since learning he was in a position to start at quarterback for the Iowa football team in the Transperfect Music City Bowl. It's a new role for the redshirt freshman who spent the fall running the Hawkeyes' scout team offense, but being on the run is nothing new for Labus. He brings some mobility to the position that Iowa hopes to use in the 11 a.m. game against Kentucky on New Year's Eve in Nashville. I'm cool with running the ball if the, ball, if the call comes to do that, Labus said Thursday during a video conference. I'll be ready to go. Labus, who has not taken a single snap in a game for the Hawkeyes since arriving on campus in the spring of 2021, welcomes the opportunity that presented itself when starter Spencer Petrus suffered an injury in Iowa's final regular season game and backup Alex Padilla placed his name in the transfer portal days later. It was a shock, a mix of a lot of emotions when I found out, Labus said. I'm excited for the opportunity. It's pretty cool and pretty nerve-wracking at the same time. The six foot four, two 207-pound native of Breckersville, Ohio, last started a game in the fall of 2020 for Breckersville Broadview Heights High School in suburban Cleveland. A multi-sport athlete who also played basketball and baseball, Labus lettered in each of his four years of high school football, completing 67% of his passes for 2,349 yards and 16 touchdowns as a senior. Teammates are getting a taste of what Labus has to offer as bowl preparations have played out this month in Iowa City. He's been getting his feet wet the last couple of weeks, tight end Sam Laporta said. I think every day he's feeling much more confident in the huddle with the play calls. He's handling it well, he's good on his feet, and we'll see what he can do. Cornerback Riley Moss said Lapis's ability to extend plays has been different. Joe is mobile, and we're not particularly used to that when we go to Iowa against Iowa. In practice, Moss said, they're running some different stuff for him as well, and he's doing a great job of stepping up. Receiver Dante Ziante Vines said a few wrinkles have been added to the Iowa offense to maximize Labus's skill set. Joe looks good, and he's working to get the throws down. He has a good command of the offense, and he has a great arms, Vines said. He's getting better every day. Labus agrees with that. He described his first practice as Iowa's QB1 as a little rough around the edges, edges that have smoothed out a bit as he has worked from one practice to the next. The first practice, compared to today, there's definitely been a huge difference as I've gotten used to everything, Lava said. There's been a big learning curve for sure. In the role, he now feels he has found things to move at a different tempo on the practice field. It is a different pace than the scout team, Labus said. There's a lot more mental preparation. It's been a good experience for me. I'm getting comfortable, getting a lot of good reps, and I'm doing as good a job as I can. 
Those reps are important not only for the present as Iowa prepares for a rematch with Kentucky team it faced on New Year's Day in the Citrus Bowl, but also in the development of Labas. While Iowa will add Michigan transfer Cade McNamara to the roster in the spring, Labas said he really hadn't put much thought into where he fits in moving forward. My focus has been on the bowl game. It's been a while since I've started a game, and I want to make sure that I'm ready to go, Labas said. Iowa coach Kirk Ferentz said Wednesday that both Labas and his backup true freshman Carson May are both making progress. It's hard to work more than two quarterbacks during the course of a season, and that's where this is really an unusual situation, Ferentz said. The person who suffered the most here is Spencer just because it ended up being an injury that needed surgery. That part is really hard. It's hard for him to be out there watching with a sling on, but he's done a great job of helping and coaching Joe up. Labas said Petrus has been extremely helpful, working almost like another coach. He talks to me after every single play, and it helps a lot, Labas said. It's been great to have his support. He knows the offense as well as anybody, and I have a great deal of respect for him. Labas said he is comfortable with the Iowa playbook as well, feeling like he is capable of running whatever plays are called during Music City Bowl. I feel like I can execute whatever I'm asked to do, he noted. I'm working hard to get ready for the bowl and doing the best I can to help lead our team. NFL Sunday Ticket headed to YouTube in 2023 by Joe Reedy. Fans will have to Google it beginning next season if they want to access the NFL's Sunday Ticket package. The NFL announced an agreement on Thursday for Google to distribute the package of -of out-of-market Sunday afternoon games on YouTube TV and YouTube primetime channels. The seven-year deal is worth a little more than $2 billion per season. The package has been on DirecTV since 1994. The satellite provider has paid $1.5 billion per year on an eight-year contract that expires at the end of this season. The NFL had been seeking $2.5 billion per season for the package. It could still reach that total since the league retains commercial rights to bars and restaurants and is in the midst of selling those rights. Commissioner Roger Goodell said during an interview with CNBC over the summer that the next move for Sunday Ticket would be to a streaming service because that would be the best option for fans. Goodell reiterated that with Thursday's announcement. For a number of years, we have been focused on increased digital distribution of our games, and this partnership is yet another example of us looking toward the future and building the next generation of NFL fans, he said in a statement. It is the second time in less than two years that the NFL has partnered with a streaming service to air games. The league's 11-year contract with Amazon Prime Video for Thursday night games started this season. Besides Amazon, Apple, and ESPN also expressed interest in NFL Sunday Ticket. As the ways fans enjoy NFL football evolve in a changing media landscape, partnerships with innovators like YouTube will ensure that more games are available to more fans, said New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft, who is also chairman of the NFL's media committee. This partnership will grow our game for future generations and allow them to follow their favorite sport. 
The NFL has had a presence on YouTube since 2015 when it launched its official NFL channel. That has increased to include channels for all 32 teams and 10 official league channels, including NFL Films, NFL Network, and Mundo NFL. NFL Network and NFL Red Zone have been available to subscribers of YouTube TV since 2020. Through this expanded partnership with the NFL, viewers will now also be able to experience the game they love in compelling and innovative ways through YouTube TV or YouTube primetime channels. YouTube CEO Susan Wojcicki said in a statement, We're excited to continue our work with the NFL to make YouTube a great place for sports lovers everywhere. Starting next season, NFL Sunday Ticket will be available as an add-on package on YouTube TV and standalone a la carte on YouTube primetime channels. Google said in June that YouTube TV, which was launched in 2017, has surpassed 5 million accounts and was the biggest Internet-based pay TV service in the U.S. That number includes users on free promotional trials. YouTube Primetime Channels, which launched in November, is a service that allows users to subscribe and watch content from streaming services on the YouTube app. Even with Sunday Ticket moving to YouTube, the price is not expected to substantially decrease due to contracts with CBS and Fox, which carry the Sunday afternoon games. Viewers pay around $300 to $400 a season for the package, which averages 2 million subscribers. And we'll finish up with more church news. Fifth Avenue United Methodist Church, 1800 Fifth Avenue, invites the public to participate in our live worship service at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. The Sunday worship service will be recorded live and can be viewed on our Facebook page, Fifth Avenue UMC Council Bluffs. Face masks are optional. Upcoming events, on Christmas Eve, the children will lead the early service at 5.30 p.m. The candlelight Christmas Eve service will be at 11 p.m. Regular church service at 10.30 a.m. on Christmas. Meal and message at 6 p.m. December 28th. The church office can be reached at 712-323-7374. Bethany Presbyterian Church. Bethany Presbyterian Church, 1900 South 7th Street, will have our Christmas Eve service at 7 p.m. There will be no service on Sunday, December 25th. Pastor Nancy Ross Hollinger's message will be Baby Jesus. There will be a children's chat and lighting of the last Advent candle. Deacons will meet on Wednesday, December 28th at 6 p.m. The Girl Scouts will also meet Wednesday at 6 p.m. A church cleaning will be held on Friday, December 30th at 9 a.m. We are a handicap-accessible facility. Community Community of Christ Church Community of Christ Church, 140 West Canesville Boulevard, invites people to attend Sunday worship at 1015 a.m. Our theme this week is Unto Us a Child is Born. Scripture readings will be Isaiah 9, 2-7, Psalm 96, Luke 2, 1-7, through 7, and Titus 2, 11-14. Sunday school starts at 9.15 a.m. We also have prayer service Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Please call 
our office at 712-323-4498 for any questions. There are virtual ministries out on our World Church website under Ongoing Ministries at seaofchrist.org. And that does it for today's reading of the Council Bluffs Daily Non-Perial for Friday, December 23, 2022. I'm your reader, Catherine Moyers. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, anytime. Thank you for listening. <music>